Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to uh, second hour of Amplify. Let me refresh the program in case you're just joining us. Our guest is Dr. Michael Terrian. He has a doctoral degree in moral theology. He is the president of the Preambula uh, Group, a lay apostle group, um, New event. Say something about this this group that you're you're the president of, Michael. Yeah. So, uh, Preambula Group is a. I, I just started it last summer, and basically, what we're doing is uh, providing opportunities to uh, give some formation to Catholics who uh, want to be involved in evangelization, but don't always feel comfortable or really know how to do that with any confidence. Um, so we, there's three different programs that we're, that we're offering right now that just kind of like one succeeds another and gives, gives Catholic adults an opportunity to just get some deeper spiritual formation and some, some more formation and, and just how to witness to their faith out in the world. So that relates to even the book, right, what we're talking about tonight, although our, our platform tonight, of course, is uh, COVID-19. Yes. Um, when, yeah. we, when we ended the, uh, the first hour, I sort of caught you, uh, ended you, or cut you off in mid-sentence. Uh, we were saying that God can bring the best out of the worst, and let me amplify on that by reading from your book titled The Catholic faith explained. Scripture begins with the holy marriage of, nope, that's not the one that I want. Here's the one I want. Because of the problem of both original sin and personal sin, Christians believe that humanity is in need of God's salvation and redemption. Only God can deliver us from our misery. The good news is that God's love and goodness are greater than any sin his creatures could commit. In other words, God cannot eliminate the possibility of suffering and evil without eliminating freedom and the possibility of love. However, because God is all-powerful, he can bring a greater good out of any evil we might produce. There is no evil God's love cannot conquer. What Christians believe with a firm hope is that, quote, after his fall, man was not abandoned by God. On the contrary, he calls him in a mysterious way 
in a mysterious way, heralds the coming victory over evil and his restoration from his fall, close quote. So um, that's what that's basically what we've been talking about during the first hour, isn't it? Yes. That there is hope as we look to the future. Yes, I mean, absolutely, there is hope. And I, going back to something I said in the first hour, it's just that God is with us in these experiences. Um, and he, he gives us the strength that we need to get through uh, the various forms of suffering that we might have to endure in this life. Uh, and, and then what's so amazing is that in faith, when we unite that suffering to the suffering of Christ, that suffering actually takes on a redemptive quality and value in our lives and helps us to grow uh, more and more into conformity to Christ, becoming more like him, uh, capable of loving uh, in, in what would seem otherwise as the most impossible situation. So, you know, God, I mean, you look at Christ on the cross, he's really the icon of that greatest evil ever committed. But the greatest act of love also mm. is the love with which he died for our salvation. And so there's no evil that we can commit that will ever surpass, you know, the grandeur of God's love for us. In the chapter titled Christian Faith and Moral Science, you, you write that despite our pride and perhaps because of it, Human beings seem to have an insatiable desire for truth. We are never content with what we presently know. Our minds continue to seek all there is to know. For Christians, faith and reason complement each other and give us access to different aspects of reality. The church does not limit herself to either faith or reason, but remains open always to purifying our notions of God and reality. We cannot satisfy our desire for knowledge unless we remain open to all the avenues by which God leads us to truth. And so can faith and science contradict one another? Are there ways we can find to reconcile them? Yeah, I, I think that the... You know, faith and reason complement each other because they both originate from the same source, you know, God who created all things. And But, you know, in our uh, inquiries, as we seek to discover and understand things more deeply, we're going to run up against challenges where it, it might seem as though faith and reason are opposed to each other. But, I, but honest inquiry uh, will reconcile those differences and I often will say to people that, you know, if we run into a contradiction between faith and reason, it's either because our our reasoning is flawed or our understanding of the faith is flawed or both of them are flawed. And so that just requires that we go deeper and we look more carefully and we stand before reality with greater humility and allow the truth to emerge for us. And anyone who's ever, any great mind who's ever really pursued uh, those kind of contradictions has been able to reconcile them in the end. And uh, I want to get to how God reveals himself. But first of all, um, you write about 
how might scientific discovery, and wow, there's so many things being discovered about the universe in which we live that is so fascinating. And so how might scientific discovery and understanding affect not faith itself, but how we articulate it? And you speak about two different senses, subjective and objective. Yeah. So how, how does reason affect faith? Is that well, no, what are the two different senses? What's the difference between subjective and objective senses? Yeah, so so the 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 objective sense of faith is 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 what God has revealed to us about himself and his intentions, his purposes. And the subjective sense of faith is our willingness or our uh, ch- choice to believe God to accept what he says as being the truth. So you, we need both. Uh, you know, without the objective sense of faith, then, then, then our believing is just wishful thinking or just we're just projecting our own ideas onto the world, onto, onto him, onto God. So, but objective faith doesn't affect a whole lot in our lives if we don't believe it. So, you know, God, when he reveals, he discloses his, his inner self, his heart to us, you know, he, he wants us to respond to him by believing him and entrusting ourselves to what he reveals. And there are two ways, natural and special revelation. What I like about your book is you uh, you help us all along the way. You sort of summarize and uh, bring things together and uh, um, lead us into the what? What is the most? What is the the natural question that we might be asking next? And so, when you write about the chapter, begin the chapter of how God reveals Himself, you say, and it, it would talk about it. Really summarizes what we've been talking about so far. To summarize what we have concluded thus far, Christians believe that human beings have a natural desire for God, and that by different ways. We come to know he exists. Philosophical reasoning can help us to know some things about God, but it does not reveal how best to relate to him as creatures designed for authentic spiritual and religious practice. Yet, as we learn from Scripture, God desires to have a relationship with every person he creates. We need to reflect on that and really come to understand God desires to have a relationship with every person he creates. And you continue, the primary way we can have that relationship is through the gift of faith. If we rely on reason alone, we do not easily come to knowledge of true or authentic religious practice. Much less are we able to grasp the ultimate meaning and purpose of human existence, which is union with God. The faith that Christians have is rooted in God's revelation. Revelation is just another way of saying that God has shared with us who he is and what his purpose is for our lives. And that happens in many different relationships we have with those who are closest to us and even with our friends, doesn't it? There is just a a natural revelation as people are changing 
coming closer to God or perhaps drawing away from God from which we can learn a great deal. Yeah, I mean, the analogy with human relationships is, I mean, it really works exactly the same way. If we, if we, you can't have an intimate relationship with another human being by just making rational observations about them. You know, you can, you can observe a person's behavior, you can watch them. Of course, today we'd say that's kind of creepy, but, you know, but if you really want to know someone, the person has to open up their interior life to you. And you, we don't, we don't, there's no way to stick the interior life under a microscope. You can't subject it to a philosophical argument. You, you either, you receive it as a gift and you have to trust that what a person is disclosing is true. Now, we all know from human experience that sometimes people, they don't reveal their inner life or they don't do so in a truthful manner. And, of course, they betray our trust, and that's, that, that makes trust difficult. But with God, uh, you know, as Christians, we believe, no, God has opened his heart to us, and he has told us the truth about himself. And it's, I always stop and say, well, you know, what could be greater than a God who reveals that he loves us and wants to give himself entirely to us and wants to be one with us? Like, I can't think of a better story. I can't think of a better gift. I can't think of a better way that I would want to relate to anyone, but especially God. And if all of creation serves as a kind of analogy by which we can learn something about God, have you learned anything about God through all of the marvelous things that scientists have been, been discovering in the universe about natural science? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. In fact, I often joke with people that when I was an undergraduate at Gonzaga, some of my best theology courses were the course in physics and the course in astronomy that I took. Both gave me, uh, I think, access into so many things about God. Uh, so, you know, just the, the vastness of the, of the cosmos how huge it is and how um, how generous God is. God, like just take a simple tree and think about the fruit and all the seeds. God's so excessive. He's so generous. He, he creates so much. Um, life is so resilient. It always finds a way, you know, um, and, and it, there's so much beauty in the world. Uh, you know, a starry night or watching the sunset or seeing a beautiful landscape. Uh, you know, we can encounter God in so many ways through these natural pathways. And if, if you're a scientist and you get to really study these things, it's hard not to marvel at, the, you know, the complexity, the intricacy, the, the balance, the symmetry, the beauty of it all. It's just it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so we, you write, we know all we need to know for salvation and for union with God for all eternity, but what we need to know itself can be embellished, right? Well, we, from natural reason, we, we know that we can know that there is a God, and we can know some important things about him, and 
I think the natural response to that is that we have a desire to be one with him. We have a desire to to be to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. And I think historically humans have always done the best they can to try to relate to him. But through Revelation, he he really he he elevates our capacity to be near to him because he draws so near to us through revelation and particularly in the person of Christ because he has assumed the human nature and walked among us and entered into the story of human history and spoken with a human you know with, with the human tongue and and experienced everything that we experience as human beings so uh, you know obviously special revelation magnifies what we can know to reason almost infinitely. Yes, and so um, um, someone can tell me that they love me and I'm always going to live with that till the day I die, but I can still understand those words, that concept, those feelings even deeper. It doesn't change the truth, but it makes the truth even stronger in my mind, and, and I can learn so much more. The fifth chapter is I am who I am, and you write that to know that God exists and to desire a personal relationship with him is an important first step towards believing him. And you write that from an outside observer's perspective, knowing God intimately is nearly impossible from our side of the equation, yet this is the point of of revelation. Um, I don't want to get too deep here. We just have a minute before we take our our next break. But if you can begin to talk about uh, why is uh, the idea that God is a personal being who cares about us a long leap? Well, I, I think that it's, um, you know, just reason or philosophy alone just doesn't get us there. There's no way of knowing that. Uh, and I, again, by way of analogy with other human beings, uh, the only way we enter into intimacy with another human being is, is through the disclosure of their inner life, their inner self, the sharing of their heart, the opening up of their person to you and, and the gift of their person to you. So it's the same with God. We, we can look at the stars and at mountains and all these things and have a sense of the presence of God. But how do we interact with him? How do we, how do we, how do we speak with him? How do we hear him? And with the, I love the story of Abraham. Maybe let's pick up after the break and talk about Abraham because I think that the story of Abraham, I think it's sort of iconic for the experience of faith. Right, truly, uh, uh, God has revealed his heart to us, and uh, when someone does uh, shares that in this lifetime, that is a moment of the deepest intimacy that truly can make us one. Welcome back to uh, the final segment of Amplify with Dr. Michael Terrian, talking about his book, The Catholic Faith Explained. We have about uh, 20 minutes until uh, our program ends this evening. Um, we've been talking about... Um, chapter titled, after we talked about how God reveals himself, uh, chapter I am who I am, 
uh, wise, the idea that uh, God is a personal being who cares about us, a long leap, and uh, how has God revealed his His heart to us, that very intimate moment, and uh, many moments, and uh, Michael said, uh, I believe you said you'd like to talk about a little bit about Abraham to conclude your response to that. Yeah, I just think the story of, you know, the story of Abraham is is so remarkable because if you if you place yourself in the story and you think about it, you know, obviously Abraham, re- he rejected the idols that were integral to the culture he lived in. I mean, he smashed them and he rejected them on the basis of his own rational reflections on these things. And at that moment, or, you know, at that point in his life, God speaks to him. And it seems to me that from the story, clearly he heard God speak to him. And then God called him to follow him. But he didn't really explain where he was going. And so Abraham had to come to know God more intimately, precisely by following him in faith. And leaving behind, uh, you know, the, the the religious customs that that you know were part of his culture, and it's just remarkable to me. But I think that that's the same path that we, you know, God will reveal Himself and call us, and as we respond in faith to that, uh, we we come to know Him more and more. Uh, and it's very much, again, like a human relationship. We, we meet someone and we begin to be and spend time with them. We get to know them better. And the more we know them, the more we love them and the more we trust mm-hmm. them. And to be talking about another person, you, you write about how the revelation of God to Moses is one of the most important moments Scripture records. Why is that? Yeah, because... Uh, because God tells Moses his name, uh, you know, I am who I am, which doesn't seem like a name, but it actually is a very profound name because he he reveals that, you know, that, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, is first of all, a God of the living uh, and not the dead, but he's, he, you know, he's, he's He's always present, and he's, and then he's a God is faithful um, to the covenants that he makes, and he's also a God that cares about the suffering of his people because he sends Moses on a mission to go uh, deliver his people who are held in bondage in Egypt. Um, so, in, in revealing his name as the One who is uh, and, and the ground of all things. These are the three things that he reveals about what it means to say, I am who I am. I'm the one who uh, is is life itself. I'm the one who's faithful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm the one who cares and has mercy, shows mercy towards those who suffer. And so God reveals his deepest essence, his inner self, through the revelation of his name. And you point out that uh, God is being itself and not a being. What is re- what is revealed in that? A lot of people might say, what? God is yeah. being itself and not a being. 
yeah, not a being, like yes. using the, the, the indefinite article A or, yeah. So I think what's important about that is is that, you know, sometimes people think of God as just another creature or another being who just happens to be bigger and stronger um, and, and than, than the rest of the creatures out there. And I think what God is revealing is that he, he isn't part of creation at all. Uh, he stands above. He, he is in a category unto himself. Uh, and, and why that's good news is because it means that God is totally self-sufficient. He doesn't, he, he doesn't depend upon anything inside this creation that he's made. And so he's not in any competition with it. Uh, the only real stance, if you think about it long enough, that God can really have is that he's a loving Father who, who has gifted all things, all beings to us. He's given everything to us as a gift. He has no need of these things. He stands above and outside all that he has made. He's being itself. So he is, uh, he is the very ground of all that is that we experience in the world around us. Um, and I and I think that's important because because if we think of, of God as just the you know the biggest kid on the block or the biggest you know thing out there, uh, I, I, historically we've fallen into the trap of thinking that God is in competition with us or that God is uh, holding out on us or mm-hmm. God is lording it over us. Uh, these are false images of God, and these false images have have been very, very destructive uh, in the course of history of thinking God in those terms. Does it not um, raise the essential question then? Um, we've we've uh, talked all around it. Why then did God create us? Yeah, and again, I think, you know, we, we read in Scripture in Genesis, you know, God looked upon all that he had made and he said it's very good. And I think that's, that's 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 a revelation about God's intentions. Um, if if all that God created is good, it must be desirable in some way. And since we know if God is all powerful, all knowing, you know, He's sufficient unto Himself, uh, then He could not have created or would not have created everything uh, for Himself as something He needed for Himself like something he needed to depend upon. So the, when you ask, well, then why, if he didn't need us, then why else would he create us? Well, and, and I always like to say the answer to that is that it was his good pleasure to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is, is because it was good. <laughs> it would, it, he desired to share existence with other beings besides himself. And again, I, I love to go back to the analogy of marriage because when two people fall in love and open their love up to a family, they're essentially saying the same thing, that we want to share our love with another person other than ourselves. And and that life that proceeds from a husband and wife is a gift, a pure gift. So uh, especially when that's chosen out of love, Right? So we look at God and we say, well, the only reason God would have created it is because it was his good pleasure to do so. He wanted to gift our life to us uh, and then affirm it as desirable 
And then not only that, but he wants to not just stand out at a distance and look at it and watch it. You know, I, I enjoy watching my kids, you know, when they're on the soccer field, but I also like to hug my kids. I like to yes. just talk to them. I like to have a relationship with them. Well, God, you know, our, our Heavenly Father is exactly the same. He wants to know us intimately and be with us. How intimate is that relationship? Uh, um, how much of a personal interest does God have in our lives? Is he, uh, to, maybe this is to take it to the ridiculous, but is God even interested in the interview that we are conducting now in the sense that somehow it's a reflection of what he has created you and I to be and to do? I mean, yeah, I mean, my, I, I can speak to my own experience. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked at the little things that God cares about. I, I think he's interested in every detail of our life. Um, I, I, I don't, there's a lot of choices that we make in our life that I, I don't think, like, I don't think God sits and has a, a perfect map, you know, like, like he wants to control every single thing that we do. But I think he rejoices and he delights in everything that's part of our life. Um, and he's and, and when we turn to him, he, he will always guide us, always guide us. And we'll, the big things, the small things, um, you know, again, I mean, I just I could give examples of things in my life where I, he responded to a prayer about something that, you know, in the grand scheme of the universe is pretty trivial. And. He, seemed, he responded to that, and I, in my prayer, I'm like, I just can't believe you even care about something like that. But any parent cares about those little details in their own child's life, too. We, we care about the little things uh, when we love, and, you know, love wants to be in the details. And so, yeah, I think God cares about everything in our lives and wants to be intimately involved in those things. Again, not like a puppet master controlling mm -hmm. everything. But he wants to be with us in all of those things. And he rejoices in giving us a certain degree of freedom and self-determination to go and shape and define our lives according to our own desires and our own, you know, our own preferences. Of course, he doesn't want us to sin in that, but he wants us to, to image him in that way, to be like him, to be creative and innovative and responsive to all the things that we encounter in this world. And read it again from the, the book we're uh, talking about tonight in our discussion, The Catholic Faith Explained, uh, Michael, Dr. Michael Terry, and just to put it into context, proper context, uh, writes that um, God created us because he wanted to share with us a portion of his own being and goodness as a gift. What a gift. He wanted every creature, and humans especially, to participate in existence and life. And I'm just going to jump around a little bit here. In philosophy, he writes, we have an important principle that will help us understand this better. The principle is that being and goodness are convertible terms. What this means is that to be is to be good. Things that exist are desirable and of great value and dignity. This is true of all things that exist. All things have some measure of goodness and value. And a little bit further, he writes, to elaborate further, God is not the universe. 
but something entirely distinct from it. We were talking about the universe a little bit earlier, natural theology, which is why he is able to love it perfectly, perfectly, excuse me, perfectly, without any self-interest, but as pure gift. God is the one from whom all goodness flows. We just talked about Moses. When God speaks to Moses in the burning bush, he says to him, in effect, I am the one in whom all created beings find their origin and existence. All things originate in me and are good. I love them, each and every one. I am the one who is full of mercy and love for my people. Jumping then, we were talking earlier in the program about the concept of evil. What would we say about God's relationship with the evil one, about God's relationship with Lucifer? Yeah. Well, obviously we believe that God, you know, Lucifer was the greatest of the angels, and he would, in his being, be the most, bear the image of God to the greatest degree that any creature could. And sadly, because of his own pride, he fell from grace. And he fell from grace, I think, because he didn't understand enough or believe enough in who God is in himself. So he might have known it, but he didn't believe in it. So God is the God who pours himself out. He he is the greater who serves the lesser. He's the he's the one who takes the little one and lifts them up to himself. Well, Lucifer said, "I won't do that. I won't. I, the, the lesser will serve the greater." And I think that you know the vocation of the angels was to serve creation and serve the human race in a special way, and to serve Christ, especially in his incarnate in his incarnate uh, existence. So. What what how you know how do we relate to Satan? I think God you know obviously God um, loved Lucifer in the beginning and still holds him in being and loves his being, but also uh, hates and rejects all the evil that he has perpetrated in the world, and therefore has named Lucifer yes. his enemy question we could have raised at the beginning of the question. I only ask it now as we kind of uh, summarize and with a hope that sometime in the future we can continue this discussion of your book, The Catholic Faith, explain what then is religion? Uh, well, the word religion means to bind ourselves uh, to something. Uh, and And so religion is is, 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 it really originates within human culture. It's our way of binding ourselves to God, to devoting ourselves to him in, in search of him and in, in pursuit of him. And, of course, because of Revelation, God has, because we don't always know how to relate to him or how to, how to reach him, so to speak, God has revealed how to do that. What are the practices? What are the ways of living? How do we worship? How do we speak to God? He has given all of that to us, and 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 that, and so we call it religion. And of course, because 
as Christians, we believe that God has revealed that to us. We call it true religion. It, it's true because it corresponds to how God has said, here's how I want you to speak to me and relate to me and worship me. So he's really answering our heart's desire to be in relationship with him uh, by showing us this is how. And so we practice religion by binding ourselves to those that way of life, uh, those ways of worship, those ways of prayer and thanksgiving and so on. That God has shown us, this is how you can be near to me. This is how I draw near to you. This is how we can be one. And so um, one of our concerns today where we began about COVID-19 um, is that um, concern is people are becoming depressed and uh, losing hope because of how deeply their lives have been uh, impacted. And you write, uh, and you weren't writing at all about what was happening uh, today, but you're writing in general, too many people today are depressed and even questioning if their existence has any meaning. If people feel this way, it is not because their lives are meaningless, but because the world is trying to convince us that the meaning of our lives is to satisfy the urges of the body rather than the longings of the soul for true love. What the soul most desires is true love, and that requires an absolute and complete union with God, who is love. And so if I were to try to summarize uh, in one sentence what we've been talking about tonight, it might be that one. What the soul most desires is true love, and that requires an absolute and complete union with God who is love. Our guest this evening has been Dr. Michael Terrian. We've been talking about his book, The Catholic Faith Explained. Michael, thank you so much for being with us and uh, apologize that um, this was a little different program than we typically have where I like to work uh, through the book, but that will give us an opportunity to come together again sometime in the future. So blessings yeah, to would, Go ahead, please. Yes, I, no, I would I would love to do that. And, you know, thank you for uh, having me on the show. I would just great. want to point out to people we are maybe uh, one-fourth through the book. It's, we're in like page 50-something, and there's over 200 pages. So there's a lot we have to cover. So I'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks, Michael. God okay. blessings. All right. Bye you now. Too, Father Rob. Bye, Bye, Bye now. So... Um, so much um, left but said, and yet so much uh, covered. Um, Michael writes towards the, uh, the end of the book, Scripture begins with the holy marriage of Adam and Eve. It ends with the holy marriage of Christ and the church. St. Paul tells us that marriage is the sign, sacrament of the great mystery. St. Paul describes this great mystery as the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Down through the ages of human history, 
God's plan has been nothing more than an everlasting nuptial union with humankind. And so if we want to put it into practical terms uh, that we may not understand and yet should understand uh, was part of a, uh, a presentation not long ago when the person said, what God wants most is to marry you. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended upon you alone and come back next Sunday and amplify with us. CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jim Shenavy in Putnam County, New York. President Trump used the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. as the backdrop for a virtual town hall meeting tonight on the Fox News Channel. CBS's Stephen Portnoy.